Good afternoon. My name is Mike, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Facebook fourth quarter and full year 2020 earnings conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during that time, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. This call will be recorded. Thank you very much. Ms. Deborah Crawford, Facebook's Vice President of Investor Relations, you may begin. Thank you. Good afternoon and welcome to Facebook's fourth quarter and full year 2020 earnings conference call. Joining me today to discuss our results are Mark Zuckerberg, CEO, Cheryl Sandberg, COO, and Dave Lehner, CFO. Before we get started, I would like to take this opportunity to remind you that our remarks today will include forward-looking statements. Actual results may differ materially from those contemplated by these forward-looking statements. Factors that could cause these results to differ materially are set forth in today's press release and in our quarterly report on Form 22 filed with the SEC. Any forward-looking statements that we make on this call are based on assumptions as of today, and we undertake no obligation to update these statements as a result of new information or future events. During this call, we may present both GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures. The reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP measures is included in today's earnings press release. The press release and an accompanying investor presentation are available on our website at investors.sc.com. And now I'd like to turn the call over to Mark. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. I hope you are all staying healthy and well. Our community and business had a strong end of the year. As COVID continues to keep many of us apart and at home, um, people and businesses continue relying on our services to stay in touch and create economic opportunities. 2.6 billion people now use one or more of our apps each day, and more than 200 million businesses, mostly small businesses, use our free tools to reach customers. If those numbers get a sense of scale, uh, but some of the stories we hear show the impact. Uh, groups have formed where COVID long haulers are helping each other through the scary experience where there's uh, not much else to turn to. Uh, teachers are, are sending class assignments to students through WhatsApp. Local bookstores and coffee shops are using Instagram uh, to let customers know they're open for curbside pickups. Uh, we saw people come together to raise $1.8 billion for nonprofits and personal causes through our fundraising tools last year, um, including $175 million for COVID-related causes alone. I am, I'm proud of the role that our service has played uh, in helping people support each other uh, during what has been such a hard time. Now, I've spent a, a fair amount of time on recent earnings calls uh, talking about our election integrity efforts, uh, so I'm not going to discuss them at length today, uh, but I do want to call out that according to our estimates, we, we easily surpassed uh, our goal to help 4 million people register to vote uh, as part of the largest ever uh, effort, the largest effort to distribute authoritative voting information in recent history. And I, I want to thank everyone involved um, in our teams and, and, and outside involved with that effort. So today, uh, I'm going to focus on our product work. And specifically, I'm going to focus on four themes uh, that I'm excited about for the year ahead. Communities, private messaging, commerce tools for small businesses, and uh, building the next computing platform. So let's start with communities. Now I think that helping people build communities um, is one of the most important things that we can do. Our social fabric is, is made of uh, multiple different layers to which we get our social support. Now first we have friends and, and family, and that's the most personal layer. Then we have uh, communities we're a part of, where we uh, feel a sense of purpose and belonging, and explore interests, develop skills, grow as individuals, and meet new people. And then finally, there's the safety net that, that society and, and government provide. And in many parts of the world, uh, there's been an unfortunate decline in community participation uh, over the, the last several decades. Uh, that's that second layer. And this isn't something that we can solve alone, but uh, I think we can help. So. And now that we've helped billions of people stay connected with friends and family, uh, helping everyone find and participate in communities that are meaningful to them uh, has been our next goal. And we, we even updated our mission a few years ago to reflect this, making it uh, give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. Today, more than 600 million people 
uh, are now members of a group on Facebook that they consider to be meaningful in their lives. Uh, this is growing steadily over time. You know, and I hear all the time from people who are uh, in parenting groups that they're a major resource to navigate raising kids, uh, or from people who found a group that shares the same health condition and they can lean on that community for knowledge and support, um, or from people who've moved to a new place and, and joined local groups to meet uh, people and get situated. Our product focus uh, now is to develop this community infrastructure beyond the feeds and message boards uh, to help people build and run full self-sustaining community institutions. So we're building tools that help groups get things done together uh, and provide support for uh, people that spam uh, messaging, video chat, uh, and even community's own websites. And we're exploring different ways uh, to raise funds, including donations, merchandise, um, and membership fees uh, to help group leaders support their community's operations and, and hire people uh, for different roles that are needed to build sustainable communities for the long term. So as we continue to focus on this, uh, we need to make sure that the communities that people connect with are healthy and positive. And that's something that we've been focused on for a while now. Uh, one way, of course, that we do this is by taking down groups that break our rules against things like violence or hate speech. And in September, uh, we showed that we had removed more than one million groups in the last year alone. Uh, but there are also a lot of groups uh, that we may not want to encourage people to join, even if they don't violate our policies. Uh, so, for example, uh, we stopped recommending civic and political groups in the U.S. ahead of the elections. Um, and we're, we're continuing to, to fine-tune how this works, uh, but now uh, we plan to keep civic and political groups out of recommendations for the long term, and we plan to expand that policy globally. And, and to be clear, uh, this is a continuation of work we've been doing for a while uh, to turn down the temperature and discourage uh, divisive conversation and communities. Now, along these same lines, um, we're also currently considering steps uh, that we can take to reduce the amount of political content in news feed as well. Uh, we're still working through exactly the best ways to do this. And to be clear, uh, of course, we're still going to enable people to engage in political groups and discussions if they want to. Um, these can often be important and helpful, and there can be ways that people organize grassroots movements or speak out against injustice um, or learn from people with different perspectives. So we want these discussions to uh, be able to keep happening. Uh, but one of the top pieces of feedback that we are hearing from our community right now is that people uh, don't want politics and fighting uh, to take over their experience on our services. So one theme uh, for this year is that we're going to continue uh, to focus on, on helping millions of more people participate in healthy communities, um, and we're going to focus even more on being a force for bringing people closer together. Uh, next, let's talk about private messaging. Now, as we've discussed before, uh, while people enjoy connecting with friends and communities in the digital equivalent of the town square in uh, apps like Facebook and Instagram, uh, the fastest growing social experiences are about connecting privately in the digital equivalent of the living room uh, in services like WhatsApp and, and Messenger. So that's why we kicked off a big effort a couple of years ago uh, to reimagine what a modern social platform would look like if you built it from the bottom up to be privacy first. And we identified several uh, core principles. A, a private social platform uh, should be built around the most intimate interactions that, that we have, and that's one-on-one -on -one conversations. Uh, the most important aspect of privacy and security is that your conversations should stay between you. And that means that your conversations should always be end-to-end -end encrypted, and they should disappear uh, when you're done with them. Now, safety and reducing spam matter, too, uh, and that means that we should maintain a minimum amount of metadata uh, to build sophisticated tools to stop bad actors uh, using these services. And you should have choice over what services you use. So we should make messaging as interoperable as possible across our apps. And finally, uh, no matter what, uh, we can only store people's data in countries where uh, we know we can keep it secure. And, and we should continue opposing data localization uh, in countries with weak records on human rights or privacy. Now, I think that these uh, are the privacy principles that matter uh, most to people. 
First and foremost, people cared their conversations stay private. Uh, but after that, people also care about safety and other convenience too. And from this perspective, WhatsApp and the direction that we're heading with Messenger are the best private social apps available. Now, we have a lot of competitors who make claims about privacy uh, that are often misleading. Now, Apple uh, recently released so-called nutrition labels, uh, which focus largely on metadata that apps collect, uh, rather than the privacy and security of people's actual messages. Uh, but iMessage stores non-intended encrypted backups of your messages by default, uh, unless you disable iCloud. So Apple and governments have the ability to access most people's messages. So w when it comes to what matters most, uh, protecting people's messages, uh, I think that WhatsApp is clearly superior. Now, uh, since I try to use these learning calls uh, to discuss aspects of business strategy that I think are important for investors to understand, um, I, I do want to highlight that we increasingly see Apple um, as one of our biggest competitors. iMessage is a key pen of their ecosystem. Uh, it comes pre-installed on every iPhone, um, and they've preferenced it with private APIs and permissions, which is why iMessage is the, the most used messaging service in the U.S. Uh, and now uh, we are also seeing uh, Apple's business depend more and more on gaining share in apps and services uh, against us and other developers. So Apple has every incentive to use their dominant platform position to interfere with how our apps and other apps work, uh, which they regularly do to preference their own. Um, and this impacts the growth of, of millions of businesses around the world, um, including with the uh, upcoming iOS 14 changes, many small businesses uh, will no longer be able to reach their customers with targeted ads. Now, Apple may, may say that they're doing this to help people, uh, but the moves clearly track their competitive interests. And I think that this dynamic is important uh, for people to understand because we and others um, are going to be up against this for the foreseeable future. Now, our, our messaging services continue growing, uh, but it is an uphill battle, and, and our services uh, just need to be that much better as private social platforms to succeed. So uh, to make sure uh, that we remain the best, um, a couple of years back, we kicked off a number of long-term efforts uh, that have started shipping recently. And more of these projects are on strengthening encryption, ephemerality, interoperability, um, and often other tools are going to be shipping throughout this year. All right, so now let's talk about commerce. Our goal here is to give every individual entrepreneur and small business access to uh, the same kinds of tools that historically only the big companies have access to. And we've always cared about this, uh, but the pandemic has made it more urgent. So it, it used to be the case that only large companies uh, could afford to have analytics or targeted advertising capacity to reach uh, their customers. And it was expensive to build these capabilities, and it often requires building teams um, and storing large amounts of data in-house, which you know, most small businesses can't do. Uh, and so one of the things that I'm most proud of um, is that we build the tools so we can offer these same capabilities to small businesses uh, often for free. So when you hear people say uh, that we hold a lot of data, uh, that's because hundreds of millions of businesses that would have otherwise had to do this individually um, and would have had no easy way of doing so are now using our services to help them reach customers. And when you hear people say that we're connecting data from lots of sources, uh, that's to help small businesses reach customers more efficiently. You know, big companies often do this themselves, uh, but small businesses can't a lot of times, so we do this for them. Uh, so when you hear people argue uh, that we shouldn't be doing these things or that we should go back to the old days of untargeted uh, television ads, you know, I think that uh, what they're really arguing for is a regression uh, where only the largest companies have this capacity, small businesses are severely disadvantaged, and competition is diminished. So with, with our commerce tools, um, we've made it so that a business can set up a shop once, and then they will have an online storefront in, in both Facebook and Instagram immediately, and eventually on WhatsApp and Messenger as well. And we recently extended checkout uh, to all U.S. businesses, making the process of buying uh, a lot more seamless. And as the lockdowns have continued, we, we saw more businesses, more small businesses and creators also use paid online events um, as a way to make money. WhatsApp um, is also an important part of our strategy here. 
Uh, more than 175 million people uh, message a WhatsApp business account every day. Um, and we're building new features to make it even easier to transact with businesses and apps. Um, we introduced carts, uh, which lets people browse catalogs, select multiple products, and, and send the order um, as a message to a business. And uh, the more people that interact with businesses, the better tools uh, that we're going to need to provide for businesses to help them support their customers. Um, you know, many businesses need uh, more than a phone to manage their customer service, so we're, we're building tools to let businesses store and manage uh, their WhatsApp staff using our secure hosting infrastructure if they would like. Um, and we're in the process of updating WhatsApp's privacy policy in terms of service to reflect uh, these optional experiences. Uh, now, to clarify some confusion that we've seen, this update does not change the privacy of anyone's messages uh, with friends and family. All of these messages are end-to-end -end encrypted, uh, which means we can't see or hear what you say, and we never will, uh, unless the person reading the message chooses to share it. Uh, and, and business messages will only be hosted on our infrastructure if the business chooses to do so. Uh, so we want everyone to know the lengths that we go to to protect their private messages. So we are moving uh, the date of this update back to give everyone time to understand uh, what the update means. Finally, uh, let's discuss our work building the next computing platform. Uh, this is one of the areas that I'm most excited about our progress heading into 20, 2021. Um, if you look at the history of computing, uh, every 15 years or so, a new major platform uh, emerges that integrates technology more naturally and ubiquitously into our lives, uh, starting with mainframes and PCs and browser-based computing and then mobile. And I believe that the next logical step here is an immersive computing platform that just delivers this magical sense of presence, uh, that you're really there with another person or in another place. Um, our phones can't deliver this, and neither can any other technology that has come before it. Um, this is going to unlock the types of social experiences that, that I dreamed about building uh, since I was a kid. And, and it's, it's what we're building towards at Facebook Reality Labs. We launched Quest 2 in October, and it is on track to be the first mainstream virtual reality headset. Um, we designed it so that anyone can jump in uh, with the best and most immersive experience out there, um, and at a price that makes it available to as many people as possible. Now, I think that Facebook has done more than any other company to help bring virtual reality to the mainstream. And you know, it's been great to see so many people embrace this, uh, especially uh, you know, this year during the pandemic. Um, you know, we're seeing people use it to play games with friends uh, when they can't be together in person, uh, to do workouts in their living room, uh, or to meet with colleagues while they're working from home. Uh, so there are a lot of reasons uh, that Quest 2 is one of the hot holiday gifts uh, this year. We're also seeing a growing ecosystem of developers uh, building amazing new experiences for the platform. Um, right now, more than 60 uh, Oculus developers are, are generating revenue in the millions. Um, that's nearly twice as many as uh, a few months ago. Um, in previous quarters, I've, I've talked about uh, our long-term future goals when it comes to virtual reality, but, but I think that this quarter's results show uh, that this future is here. Augmented reality glasses are, are going to be a key part of this vision, too. Um, we're still working on some of the foundational technology to underpin these, and the ultimate product is, is still uh, some years away. Uh, but this year, we are excited to deliver a first glimpse of what will be uh, when we launch our first pair of smart glasses uh, from Ray-Ban in partnership with Luxoska. And, and during this pandemic, uh, we've also seen portals has proven to be a great way uh, for people to stay connected, um, especially over the holidays, families have to celebrate apart. Uh, you know, this year, we're, we're focused on expanding the role of a portal and virtual reality presence um, into the workplace. Uh, bringing more features that, that can improve the world's presence, collaboration, um, and productivity. 2021 um, has a lot of unknowns. You know, we don't know when uh, vaccines are going to be widely available, when our teams will be back in the office, uh, or when our lives are going to start feeling normal again. But uh, what I do know is that we're going to keep investing in um, and innovating on the big themes that I discussed here in order to put more power in the hands of people and small businesses. Um, I personally believe uh, that technology can unlock progress and opportunity, and uh, that the, the full story of the Internet uh, has not yet been written. 
That's why I'm hopeful for your ahead and grateful that you are all on this journey with us. And, and now here is Cheryl to talk about our business. Thanks, Mark, and hi, everyone. Like Mark, I hope everyone is safe and healthy. This was a strong quarter for our business, as the acceleration of online commerce we've seen during the pandemic continued into the holiday season. The total revenue for Q4 was $28.1 billion, which is a 33% year-over-year increase, a fastest growth rate in over two years. After a really difficult year for so many businesses, this holiday period was important. And while many businesses are still struggling, the good news is that Q4 was stronger than expected for retail. In the U.S., the National Retail Federation reported that sales in November and December went up 8% year-over-year, and online sales were up 24%. This holiday period was also longer. Compared to previous years, advertisers started spending earlier and sustained that spend well beyond Black Friday and Cyber Monday. We saw robust performance across regions, as well as the improvement in brand advertising. The strength of our Q4 performance is the result of years of investments in free and paid tools to help businesses succeed online. Even before the pandemic, businesses were going digital, but COVID made this a necessity. Almost overnight, businesses had to create digital storefronts, figure out how to take online orders, and find new ways to reach their customers. For many small companies, these steps are even just setting up a website or a mobile app can be difficult and expensive. Our free and paid tools help solve these problems for businesses around the world. With so many businesses struggling on the pandemic hit, we asked our teams, what do businesses need and how can we help? First, they need the tools to get their business up and running online. So what can we do to make ours simpler and more effective, and can we build new ones to help them? Second, they need the digital skills and know-how to succeed. So how can we help more businesses with training and resources? And third, they need their voices to be heard. So can we use our skills to amplify their voices and tell their stories? We've been asking these questions throughout the last year and into Q4. On the first, we accelerated our work on tools to make it easier for people to find brands and products they love and for businesses to manage their online presence and connect with customers. Mark talked about some of the new tools we've launched at shops and paid online events. In the fall, we also rolled out Facebook Business Suite, a new interface to help businesses manage their pages or profiles across our app. We also continue to invest in making our products as effective as possible so businesses can get more value for every dollar they spend. Personalized ads are privacy safe and help businesses reach customers where they are, which has been more important than ever during the pandemic. One notable area of progress this past year was in stories ads, which have become more effective for direct response advertisers. One business that used stories ads is Carlota Flower Lab, a florist in Los Reyes, Mexico. Before COVID, they made 70% of their revenue from face-to-face workshops. So when the pandemic hit, Founder Paula Mendoza had to get creative. She used personalized ads on Instagram to reach new audiences and even found her first international customers with campaigns targeting California and Texas. One campaign for Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, in November, led to a 24 times return on ad spend, helping Paula triple her annual revenue in 2020 despite COVID. On the second, Resource and Training, we did some big things in 2020. We created a business resource hub, a one-stop shop for resources and trainings for small businesses that we've continued to build out through the end of the year. We committed to reach 1 million members of the Black community and 1 million members of the Latinx and Hispanic communities in the U.S. with free digital skills training through our Elevate program by 2023. And we reimagined our Boost of Facebook events to reach businesses virtually with 100 million people tuning in throughout the year. This included our 12-week season of support to help businesses across 16 countries prepare for the holidays. On the third, a great example of how we amplified the voices of our businesses in Q4 is our Buy Black Friday campaign, one of my favorite campaigns ever. In the U.S., black-owned businesses closed at twice the rate of others after the start of the pandemic, so we wanted to help people people stop with them over the holidays. 
We created ways for people to find black businesses in their local area, a gift guide featuring products from black businesses across the U.S., and even a Buy Black Friday show on Facebook Live that was seen by 15 million people. One of the small businesses we featured is a vegan skincare plot brand called Redo from New York City. Its founder, Asia Grant, appeared on the Buy Black Friday show, and that became one of her most successful sales days ever. The campaign gave her record revenue and web traffic, and she was even able to hire more people, something that's so important in current unemployment rates. Business owners like Asia and Paula have worked hard to adapt and grow online, but lots of businesses will continue to struggle in 2021. So we're going to keep listening to them and building on what we did last year. That means improving our products and tools to help businesses seamlessly manage their online presence, advertise across our apps, and communicate with customers through business messaging. It means making more training available through programs like Seeing Business for Women and Elevate for Diverse Communities. And it means finding more ways to amplify their voices, whether it's sharing the stories of small businesses worried that Apple's iOS 14 changes will hurt their ability to reach customers, or showcasing small businesses and gift shops and products like businesses nearby. I want to close by saying how grateful I am to all the businesses around the world who work with us. Your partnership helps us build the tools you need so you can continue to grow and hire. And as always, I'm grateful to our incredible team who have done so much to help businesses survive this difficult year, including coming up with great ideas like Buy Black Friday. I hope that 2021 is a better year for everyone. Now here's Dave. Thanks, Cheryl, and good afternoon, everyone. Q4 was a strong quarter, capping off a solid year for our business. At full year 2020 revenue grew 22% to $86 billion. We have been encouraged to see improved demand for our ads during the second half of the year after facing significant headwinds at the onset of the pandemic. Our results reflect the ongoing strength in the digital economy and the value we're providing to millions of businesses who use our services to reach consumers and generate sales. Let's begin with our community metrics. In December, we estimate that approximately 2.6 billion people use at least one of our services on a daily basis and that approximately 3.3 billion people use at least one on a monthly basis. Facebook daily active users reached 1.84 billion, up 11% or 188 million compared to last year. GAUs represented approximately 66% of the 2.8 billion monthly active users in December. MAUs grew 299 million or 12% compared to last year. Consistent with our outlook, US and Canada GAU declined 1 million sequentially as usage continues to normalize from peak COVID levels experienced earlier in the year. Terms with financials. All comparisons are on a year-over-year basis unless otherwise noted. Q4 total revenue was $28.1 billion, up 33%, or 32% on a constant currency basis. We benefited from a currency tailwind and had foreign exchange rates remain constant with Q4 of last year, total revenue would have been $339 million lower. Q4 ad revenue was $27.2 billion, up 31%, or 30% on a constant currency basis. The growth in advertising revenue was largely driven by a strong holiday shopping season for retail, which benefited from the ongoing shift to online commerce. On a user geography basis, ad revenue was strongest in Europe, which grew 35% and benefited from currency tailwind. U.S. and Canada grew 31%, and Asia Pacific grew 29%. Rest of world growth improved 25%, but continues to be significantly impacted by currency headwinds. In Q4, the total number of ad impressions served across our services increased 25%, and the average price per ad increased 5%. Impression growth was driven by both Facebook ads and Instagram. The increase in average price per ad was driven primarily by Facebook's mobile feed, as well as pricing improvements in Instagram stories. Other revenue was $885 million, up 156%, due to strong Quest 2 holiday sales. We've been encouraged by the positive reception of Quest here since the October launch. Turning now to expenses. Q4 total expenses were $15.3 billion, up 25% compared to last year. In terms of specific line items, cost of revenue increased 49%, driven primarily by hardware costs related to Quest 2 sales, core infrastructure investments, and payments to partners. R&D increased 34%, 
driven primarily by hiring and investments in core products, as well as our consumer hardware efforts. Marketing and sales increased 8%, driven by hiring and marketing spend. Lastly, DNA expenses decreased 13% as we lapsed charges related to the BIPO legal settlement recorded in the fourth quarter of 2019. In the past year, we added a record 13,600 net employees and reached our goal of adding 10,000 employees in tech and product roles. We ended the year with over 58,600 full-time employees, up 30% compared to last year. We continue to be pleased with our ability to recruit, onboard, and retain talent in this environment. Fourth quarter operating income was $12.8 billion, representing a 46% operating margin. Our tax rate was 14%. Net income was $11.2 billion, or $3.88 per share. Capital expenditures were $4.8 billion, driven by investments in data centers, servers, office facilities, and network infrastructure. Free cash flow was $9.2 billion, and we ended the quarter with $62 billion in cash and marketable securities. For the full year, we purchased $6.3 billion of our Class A common stock and have $8.6 billion remaining in our prior authorization as of December 31st. Today, we announced a $25 billion increase in our stock based purchase authorization. Turning now to the outlook, we continue to face significant uncertainty as we manage through a number of cross currents in 2021. We believe our business has benefited from two broad economic trends playing out during the pandemic. The first is the ongoing shift to online commerce. The second is the shift in consumer demand towards products and away from services. We believe these shifts provided a tailwind to our advertising business in the second half of 2020, given our strength in product verticals sold via online commerce and our lower exposure to service verticals like travel. Looking forward, a moderation or reversal in one or both of these trends could serve as a headwind to our advertising revenue growth. At the same time, in the first half of 2021, we will be lacking a period of growth that was negatively impacted by reduced advertising demand during the early stages of the pandemic. As a result, we expect year-over-year growth rates in total revenue to remain stable or modestly accelerate sequentially in the first and second quarters of 2021. In the second half of the year, we will have periods of increasingly strong growth, which will significantly pressure year-over-year growth rates. We also expect to face more significant ad targeting headwinds in 2021. This includes the impact of platform changes, notably iOS 14, as well as the evolving regulatory landscape. While the timing of the iOS 14 changes remains uncertain, we would expect to see an impact beginning in the late, first quarter, beginning late in the first quarter. There is also continuing uncertainty around the viability of transatlantic data transfers in light of recent European regulatory development. And like other companies in our industry, we are closely monitoring the potential impact on our European operations as these developments progress. Turning now to expenses, we expect 2021 total expenses to be in the range of $68 to $73 billion, unchanged from our prior outlook. This is driven by investments in technical and product talent, as well as continued growth in infrastructure costs. We continue to expect 2021 capital expenditures to be in the range of $21 to $23 billion, driven by data centers, servers, network infrastructure, and office facilities. Our outlook includes spend that was delayed from 2020, due to the impact of the pandemic on our construction efforts. Turning now to tax, we continue to expect our full-year 2021 tax rate to be in the high teens. In closing, 2020 was a unique operating environment that introduced a number of unforeseen challenges. We've been pleased with our team's ability to adapt in order to maintain the reliability of our services, deliver new products and experiences, and support the millions of businesses who use our platforms to reach consumers. With that, Mike, let's open up the call for questions. We will now open the line for a question and answer session. To ask a question, press star followed by the number one on your touchstone phone. Please pick up your headset before asking your question to ensure clarity. If you are streaming today's call, please mute your computer speakers. Your first question comes from the line of Brian Millett from Morgan Stanley. Thanks for taking my question. I have, I have two. The first one is for either Mark or Cheryl. I appreciate the color on, on commerce. I was curious if for any encouraging quantifiable signposts or learnings that you've seen so far in Instagram shopping that sort of give you confidence you're making progress in building out this opportunity. And the second one, Dave, you know, in the, I appreciate the comment on the, on the forward outlook and the outlook commentary. I guess the question is, when you sort of talk about this shift to consumer expenditure toward 
products away from services and that could potentially be a, a headwind in the back half as it as it reverses. The glass quarter you mentioned you had ten million advertisers. So maybe talk to us about sort of some of the segments of advertisers you think that you're missing and what initiatives you have in place to sort of broaden the advertiser base to bring more services on the platform. Thanks. How can the first? Um, with Instagram shopping, we launched a new shop tab on Instagram in Q4, and this is built on other uh, shopping efforts we've had. We see this as an overall part of our commerce effort. You know, we've always been, I think, a great place for people to discover new products and services, but we are very interested in taking people all the way down that funnel from discovery to purchase, to finding products and services, to checking out um, as well. And our shopping efforts are part of that. We're seeing nice uptick. It's still really early days. Um, but we think businesses are having a good experience and people are having a good experience. And as always with our ad, with our ad products and with our commerce products, we want to make sure we provide a great experience for the end user so that they, so that they can find the things they're looking for. Hey, Brian, it's Dave. Yes, you know, the, the data that we've looked at there really is that, you know, when you look at the uh, data from the U.S. DEA, it, it basically showed that in, in Q3, while, while the services consumer spend was still down year over year, um, spending on goods actually showed to, you know, record levels for the highest in like 15 years. Um, we don't have the results for Q4, but we expect that sort of trend continued. If you look at the balance of our of our business, it tends to skew more towards products relative to the overall, you know, GDP and uh, the overall consumer spend, you know, in, 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 in Princeton to U.S. So we just think we're overall exposed a little bit more to products. We continue to invest in, to, to improve our exposure and travel, and sorry, in, in service areas like travel. Um, but, you know, our expectation would be in 2021, we'll continue to have a, a similar skew towards products as we've had in the past, but we'll continue to make investments to make our products more relevant for services as well. Your next question comes from the line of Doug Amy from JP Morgan. Great. Thanks for taking the question. Um, for Dave and Carol, uh, you know you mentioned um, significant ad targeting headwinds, but has your view on IDSA changed at all over the past few months? Um, I'm curious how you're thinking about Facebook's ability now to offset some of the impact just through things like limited login mode and new APIs and other conversion tools and data. And if you could just talk a little bit more about uh, how you're thinking about the impact across fan and then the core products. Thanks. Doug, I'll take that. So, you know, I don't think our outlook has, has changed um, in, you know, any significant way on iOS 14. Um, we, we continue to believe that that will be a headwind in the ads business. It's, in our view, not just limited to IDFA, but, but broader uh, than that is we're going to have to be providing a, um, you know, a, 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 a prompt asking people for permission to use third-party data to deliver uh, personalized ads. So that's going to be true whether you're using IDFA or not. Um, and we do expect there to be, you know, high opt-out rates related to that, and that's factored into our outlook. Um, you know, we expect that to roll out sometime, you know, we expect later in, in Q1, um, but the timing is uncertain, and, and Apple hasn't given, you know, clarity on that at this point. And we do expect that will have increasing impact through the year um, as more users adopt uh, iOS 14 and, and go through those uh, permissions. Um, when you think about what the mitigations might be, um, obviously there's going to be mitigation of the impact on us to some extent just because this is a platform-wide change and so it will impact everyone. Um, and so that's going to that's gonna mitigate to some extent. And in addition, over time, we hope, to, we hope to help businesses by providing more on-site conversion opportunities through initiatives like Shop uh, and also click the messaging ads. Um, as, as, it, as it relates to uh, specifically the you know audience network products, obviously that's going to have a um, you know significant impact on audience network on iOS, as we've explained in the past. Um, but it's the but the, the broader impact, given the size of that business, um, is really to our to the to the core the core advertising business on iOS. 
Your next question comes from the line of Eric Harrigan from UBS. Thanks so much for taking the question. Um, maybe two if I can. Mark, just coming back to your comments, what do you see as some of the key investments either on the hardware side or the content and application side to unlock the opportunity based on what you recently saw with the success of Oculus in the holiday period where there's a piece of uh, hardware obviously that, that sold through quite well. And how do you think about aligning investments against the opportunity uh, in the coming years? And then maybe, I don't know if it's for Cheryl or Dave, but maybe if could just follow up a little bit on, on Doug's question. You know, when you think out to the language we're using about the back half of the year, is there any sense you can give us uh, quantitatively about how to think about some of the um, tougher comps we'll see as we move through 21 versus identifying uh, the degree or the severity of different outcomes from some of the headwinds. Thanks so much. I, I can take the first one. So when we started working on virtual and augmented reality, uh, we basically laid out a uh, path where we knew that virtual reality would be practical to build first, and we view that that, um, that it's, it's kind of all part of one continuous ecosystem for spatial, immersive uh, computing and presence. So the key things that we're trying to do with VR now, I, I do believe that Quest 2 is the first um, mainstream virtual reality product that is doing quite well. Um, and I'm really proud of what we've been able to do there. Um, the goal there is, you know, we, we keep on, um, you know, shipping content and titles and working with developers and um, shipping new capabilities to the device. Like last year, uh, we, we shipped the ability to do now hand tracking. There was no one expected uh, to be possible yet, but uh, the team working on that did some really great work. Um, and it just made the device better. Uh, and, and increase the value. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're, we're, we're continuing to work on, on new hardware as well. Uh, the new hardware will kind of fit the same platform, so the, the content that works on Quest 2 should be uh, forward compatible, and that way we're, we're going to build one kind of larger install base um, around the, the virtual reality headsets that we have. Um, and at the same time, we're building towards a future with some of this, the uh, fundamental technology investments that we're making to be able to provide augmented reality glasses um, that hopefully will be able to support um, you know, a lot of the same content in, in this ecosystem over time and, and take advantage of a lot of these foundational investments that we've made. So this is it, this continues to be a long-term um, a, a long-term investment. Uh, I, I think it's. it's um, very important both for the vision of what we want to do. Like I said in my script before um, earlier, it's it just, you know, uh, some of the things that we're going to be able to build with VR and, and AR are the types of social experiences that I've wanted us to, I've wanted to build since I was a kid. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to unlock that. And I also think strategically it's uh, important for us to um, have a little more control of our own destiny. Uh, in terms of the, the operating systems and platforms that all of our services operate on. So uh, continue to, to be very focused on this and optimistic about what we're seeing. Yeah, um, it, it, uh, just, just coming back to your question, I think you know, the context is you know, we have this we've had a tremendously strong quarter Q4 this year. You know, a number of factors we, we talked about driving that. Um, you know, a couple of are uh, pandemic-related, which is just the shift to online commerce as well as the ongoing, you know, the, the shift to more spend on products versus services. Um, in Q4, we also saw strength um, with sort of a full range of advertisers. We've seen sort of small and medium-sized businesses come back and, 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 and start getting strength in, you know, Q2 and Q3 or Q3 specifically. And then, you know, Q4, we also saw strength from some of our largest advertisers as well. Um, so as you look out in 2021, you know, I think we're just going to be facing tougher comps in the back half of the year. Some of those things related to the, you know, to the, related to the pandemic have the potential to, to revert, whether it's more um, consumer expenditure shifting towards services away from products. Um, so that'll make it a little bit of a tougher comp. And then you layer on top of that headwinds to, uh, to growth related to, um, you know, privacy-related headwinds. The, the biggest factor there is iOS 14. So, you know, 
we certainly stand for the safe growth, but um, you know, we're, we're just looking at a couple of comps as we hit the back half of the year, uh, given really most importantly the strength that we saw this year, and then on top of that, the the, the headwinds that we're seeing from uh, from some of the privacy changes. Your next question comes from the line of Justin Pope from Bank of America. Great, thank you. Uh, I guess I'll ask about regulation. I know I know it's a tough topic. Um, you know, first, Mark, in your prepared remarks, you, you elevated a little bit competition with Apple. Uh, is there anything going on with with iOS 14 besides IDFA that maybe puts you in more direct competition with Apple? And, and then, secondly, uh, obviously the FTC. Um, filed their case since the last earnings call. Uh, maybe just open forum. Any thoughts on, on that that you, you're able to share? Thank you. Well, in terms of the competition with, with Apple specifically, you know, I laid out three or, or four product focus areas. And, you know, with the exception of the work that we're doing on communities, which I think is quite separate from, from the work that they do, um, the other three areas, I think, are going to have very significant competitive overlap with Apple. Um, you know, in, in messaging, certainly, you know, iMessage is, is the uh, most popular service in the U.S., I think, because of um, the fact that they pre-install it and, and, and give their app several advantages that, they, that other apps don't have. Um, in commerce and, and supporting small businesses, I think there you have some of the iOS 14 uh, changes that uh, we think are going to be very problematic, especially for, for small businesses. And then longer term, as we move towards building um, the next computing platform, um, you know, I think we would expect to see them as, as more of a competitor there as well. So I, I, I do think that this is sort of shaping up um, that you know, we face many competitors. Right? There are a lot of competitors in the, the core uh, social app work that we do. Excuse me, this is the operator. I apologize that there will be a slight delay in today's conference. Please hold and the conference will resume shortly. Thank you for your patience. to unmute. Was there another question on the last one that I was supposed to answer? Well, there's a question about the FTC. Um, hey, guys, we're, we're back. Are, are, we, are we on now through this line? Yes, we are connected. Okay. All right, so where did I lose you? I think you had covered the question of the dynamics related to uh, the competitive landscape, and then there was a follow-on question around the FCC case and any thoughts that, that you have on that. I don't think we have anything we necessarily are commenting on at this point. Yeah, and nothing on the case. And on regulation overall, because I think some of the questions are focused on that, the point that I would highlight is I actually think it would be very helpful to us and um, and the Internet sector overall for there to be clearer rules and expectations on some of these social issues around um, you know, how content should be handled or how elections should be handled, um, around uh, what privacy norms uh, governments want, want want to see in place um, because these 
these questions all have trade-offs. Right? All the, the content and elections, content and elect, elections questions have trade-offs between giving people free expression and a voice, um, but, but some of their trade-offs against safety and, um, and, and privacy and other social equities, they're all very important. And it's, uh, you know, I think very difficult for a, a private company to, to balance uh, those, and, and I think it would be much better to have um, just clearer guidance and clearer rules for the internet. So that's going to be something that we continue to advocate for. Right, we'll next question. Your next question comes from the line of Ross Sandler from Barclays. Uh, hey guys, question about the price volume. Uh, you are now unmuted. Can you hear me? Yeah. Question about the price versus volume that just uh, mentioned. Um, this is the first quarter in a long time. The price, I think, was up year on year. I know there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, but you also mentioned that uh, you're seeing strong traction from DR advertisers uh, around the story format. So maybe just a little bit more color on, uh, you know, where we are in the story versus speed, uh, price dynamics, and, you know, what kinds of DR advertisers you're seeing and what traction. Uh, around these uh, story ads. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so, sure, Ross. Um, so, I mean, as, as you know, with the auction dynamic, the growth in pricing is, you know, does really depend on impression growth. And we saw impression growth slow this quarter uh, 25% from the QC rate of 35%. And some of that is just due to lapping product optimizations on Instagram during Q4 of 19, as well as just the normalization of engagement trends on, on Facebook. Um, and so, you know, we would expect that sort of overall story to continue into Q1 with those trends. Um, and then we're also continuing to make, you know, iterative improvements that, you know, enhance the performance and, uh, and benefit pricing over time, and, and you know the one example that we give those Instagram stories that, as you know, it's been an area we've been focused on to try and make um, VR performance, uh, you know, through better uh, ads and activity um, work better on stories, and, and we've been seeing some good progress there. So we called that out as, as well as being a, a driver of, of, of price improvement. There's still a gap with some um, stories ads and. Uh, and uh, see that, um, but uh, we've been pleased with the progress we've been making on that front. Your next question comes from the line of Colin Sebastian. I'm Barry. Oh, great. Thanks very much. Um, two quick ones for me. I guess, I guess given the ongoing efforts in private messaging, I'm curious ultimately what will differentiate Messenger from WhatsApp other than branding or geography is there's an inevitable consolidation of, of functionality there. And then secondly, on reels, I know it's still early, but any update on performance or uptake as well as uh, the roadmap for monetization, I think, will be helpful. Thank you. Mark, do you want to touch that? Yeah, I think it's the first one. I mean, the, the biggest connection, for the biggest difference between Messenger and WhatsApp is uh, obviously the connection to Facebook and uh, the uh, kind of uh, same identity and, and um, graph that, that you use on Facebook comes comes with the Messenger. So you can send messages across the different apps, and um, and, and there's, there's more interoperability. Um, and we bring the same world-class privacy features to both. I think that that will still make the apps feel uh, fairly distinct. I, I also think the uh, kind of aesthetic and um, focus of the apps on uh, you know, how much uh, different functionality they, they include will, will vary. I think WhatsApp has always had, um, you know, we've always focused a lot on uh, making it a very utilitarian experience um, and, and place more of a premium on um, simplicity there. So we'll, we'll continue adding new uh, functionality, but um, we're more focused on keeping that minimal, uh, whereas in, in Messenger we have a lot more tools and features for expression, um, and I, I, I would expect that we'll continue adding more there as well. On the second, with Reels, we're very pleased with the early data on consumption. 
and we have a bunch of work ahead of us to make it easier for people to create and discover content. We've now rolled out the product into over 50 countries. You know, in monetization of it, we've launched branded content tagging reels, so that helps creators uh, share the content and monetize. We launched shopping reels. And we've said that we will launch ads, the timing um, is to be determined. And we're going to follow the same pattern we followed on other things like stories. You know, we launch a consumer product, we make sure there's product market fit and people are using it. Then we launch an ad product and we make sure that it's beneficial for consumers. And as David mentioned, and I think the last question, we work, you know, very diligently quarter by quarter on the basis point improvements that help us scale a product. So we will do things to make it easier for people to create the right businesses to create the right ad format. We will do things to make those ads um, get to the person who might be looking for that product or service. Your next question comes from the line of Yusef Zong from Truth Securities. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, two questions, please. Mark, I want to go back to the first theme that you discussed of communities and how you're looking to potentially de-emphasize civic and political groups. Um, how important or how um, large is civic and political um, uh, content on the site? Is there a way to quantify it or to quantify the engagement with it? Uh, to see if this is one of the the, um, the headwinds that um, that you guys talk about in terms of potentially uh, uh, emerging in, in in 2021. And second, on the regulatory uh, headwinds, there's just increasing talk of about Section 220 protection. I know it's a it's a thorny subject, but from where you stand, how do you see Facebook, and not just really Facebook, but other social media platforms dealing with it, and uh, if, if it was either to be narrowed or even completely eliminated? Thank you. Sure, I can probably take both of those. Um, yeah, I don't know if we have any stats to share on the size of civic and political content, but it's it's um, you know pretty small minority of the content, right? And and it's um, and and all the feedback that we've had from our community suggests that the vast majority of people would like to would like it to stay that way. And uh, I think there's been this trend I think across society where a lot of things have become politicized, and um, and, and politics uh, has has kind of had a way of creeping into everything. And I think a lot of the the work that we're uh, a lot of the feedback that we see from our community is that people don't want that in their in their experience. Um, you know, they come to our services to connect with friends and family, to connect to communities that they care about, um, and uh, I think that that we can uh, potentially do a, a better job of those core jobs that we have, um, and do a better job of helping to bring people together and helping to promote healthier communities um, if we can. Uh, reduce the amount of politics on on our on our services. Now, I mean, it's, it's a we'll have to balance this carefully because you know, we have a, a deep commitment to free expression. So I believe that if people want to be able to discuss this stuff or join groups there, um, they should certainly be able to do that. Uh, but uh, but but I I just don't think that um, it's serving the community particularly well to be recommending that content right now. But um, one one thing to mention, just because you were asking about the headwinds and all that is, I, I don't think that this is a, a factor in any of that. And, and Wayne, can, you can jump in if there's any more that you want to um, add on that. But, but I, I don't think that that's what, what he had in mind in, in any way there. Um, Wayne, I'll skip a beat for you to jump in if you want before going to the next question. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that exact thing. You said this is not something that's factoring into our outlook. It's not a, it's not a headwind that is, um, is, is a factor in our 2021 outlook. Um, and certainly on the ad front as well, political is, you know, extremely small. It's low single-digit revenue, uh, even in, uh, you know, an active political uh, quarter like we had. So, um, no, it's not factoring in by either the ad side or the engagement side in our outlook. Yeah. And now going to your 230 question, um, you know, I, I do think, and I, I testified this about this in Congress, I do think that Congress should update Section 230. Um, to make sure that it's working the way um, that, that 
people intend, right? And it's, you know, after, I think, being in place for almost 25 years. And the Section 230 has been very important. It's helped give uh, rise to the Internet as, as we know it today, and it's um, given Internet platforms tools to uh, be able to balance free expression and safety. Um, and, and I think it's also gone pretty far in terms of helping to ensure that values like free expression uh, are built into the, the Internet DNA. Um, so I think that any changes should be uh, thought through very carefully and should be thought through um, not just from the perspective of what uh, a larger company like um, like Facebook or, or Google um, or Twitter can handle in terms of updating their content moderation um, policies, but you know, also you know, from the perspective of making sure that new, new companies can, can continue to emerge. Um, I think that's, that's very important as well. So, you know, we've supported changes in this uh, for for a while. You know, back in 2018, we uh, supported a change to prevent um, sex trafficking, and, um, and you know, we'll support similar efforts to tackle harms like um, child exploitation, uh, imagery and material, and, and opioids, um, and, uh, and, and, and we'll also support and be pushed to make content moderation systems more transparent. Um, the details on all this, of course, matter, uh, but we, we hope to be able to work with uh, the new Congress on this. Further, we have time for one last question. Your last question comes from the line of John Blackledge from Talent. Oh, great. Uh, thanks, Jim. Two questions. Um, Martha, on community, could, could you provide further details on layering more services off of Facebook groups? And, Expectations uh, for, for upgrades of those new services, and, and could community evolve as a meaningful uh, monetization driver um, uh, in the coming years? And then on IDFA, maybe for Dave or Farrell, um, how do you think advertisers are prepared for the changes, and will the long tail advertisers be more uh, impacted than the larger, uh, more sophisticated advertisers? Please. I, I can speak to the, the first point. Um, you know, first for, for the business, um, and I don't think we look at communities separately from friends and family. They, they're both different types of content that show up in, in news feeds that people interact with. But um, my guess is that it's probably already a pretty meaningful driver of, of the business and and, um, and the, the value that people get from the services today. So absolutely, I think it just continues to grow. Um, it should be in the, in the future. The, the, the big trend that we're, that we're looking at now and that I tried to call out in my, my remarks earlier is that right now, um, you know, there's a, there's a spectrum of different kinds of groups and communities on Facebook. You know, ever, um, you know everything from, you know, meme groups that, that people find uh, very entertaining and, and fun to uh, groups that people really turn to for support when they have uh, kind of serious issues in their lives. And... I think that right now, though, most of these communities, you know, they, they have uh, this backbone of, um, you know, there's a feed, uh, there, there are ways to, to message people. But when I think about the physical communities that, um, that, that I'm a part of, um, you know, in, in, in my life, they, they, they often have more of an institutional structure, right? There, there are sub-communities. Um, there, there are people who, um, it's their full-time job to basically help, um, you know, help people engage and, 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 um, uh, and, um, and, and basically help people navigate them. Um, you know, I'm thinking about things like the synagogue that I'm, that I'm a member of, right? And there are people there whose job it is is to help engage the congregation and help them um, get uh, basically, uh, the, the most out of, out of everything that the, the institution has to offer, and that's a very important kind of uh, community organization. And I, I would love uh, for more institutions like that uh, to be able to um, organize and build community more effectively online. So there are lots of just different tools that, uh, that I think that uh, if, if we provide, um, you know, spanning messaging, uh, spanning video chat, uh, these organizations own uh, websites and, and, and other things that they do. That if we can help uh, in, in a lot of those areas, then we can make it that groups on Facebook are not just, you know, not just a feed and a place where you post some content and maybe engage on a post, 
but that we can really help um, more organizations build up community institutions like that. And I think that that could be a very big contribution and something that I'm, I'm excited about taking on. So second question, you know, we think it's a really important question and one that, you know, we take very seriously. So small businesses are very reliant on personalized ads, the ability to use data in a very privacy-safe way to get the customers who are interested in their products and services. And that makes sense. You know, big businesses, we can buy an ad to the whole country. We can buy an ad to a whole region. Small businesses can't. They have to find the precise audiences they want. And I think one of the mainstays of our business is we've enabled that targeting in a very privacy-safe way without giving information without permission to advertisers. And what's happening with IDFA is that small businesses are really concerned because they're worried that they're not going to be able to buy effective advertising. If all personalized ads went away, small businesses would see a 60% cut in website sales. Now, we don't think Apple's contemplating going that far that quickly, but that is the, the, you know, the general direction of what, what would happen. And you can see that that would be very detrimental to their business. It's also very detrimental to economic growth because so much of our job growth comes from small businesses. I think it's worth noting it's not just about advertisers. Uh, some of these changes also impact developers and other forms of businesses. We are starting to hear from creators and developers who are worried that some of their free services will have to start charging or shut down for sending to subscriptions or other payments for revenue. Now, not all small businesses are aware of these challenges, but we are hearing from more and more of them who are very concerned. Great. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. We appreciate your time, and we look forward to speaking with you again. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for joining us. You may now disconnect your lines.